Alrighty, folks. On this episode, you will meet Michael Kennedy. Michael is the host of Python Bytes and Talk Python to Me. He is also the founder of Talk Python Training and a Python Software Foundation Fellow. Michael has been working in the developer field for more than 20 years and has spoken at numerous conferences. This is Profitable Python, Episode 3, with your host, Ben McNeil, recorded July 26, 2019. Thanks for coming on the show, Michael. Ben, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Congratulations on launching your podcast, and I'm happy to be part of it. Thank you. That's The feeling is mutual here. So, yeah, I had a pre-interview. We sent out some questions, and I, I figured we could just kind of go through those and uh, kind of dive in anywhere that seems like a, like a good place to dive in. So, um, Yeah, that sounds good. Let's jump in wherever, wherever you want to. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that I run across a lot on Facebook is, for example, like these Python groups, they'll, there's a lot of new people. And uh, so especially with somebody like yourself, that's real seasoned developer. Um, I'd like to kind of see how you would do it over again if you kind sure. of ha had to hack your way uh, and you only had like, uh, you know, the fundamentals of Python under your belt. So how would you, uh, what steps would you take to get profitable in the next six months? Yeah, that's a good question, right? Like if, you know, how much of what is successful is like built up over time and how much is it like something you learn that can be reapplied, right? Like that, mm -hmm. that's, that's an interesting thought experiment. What I honestly hope I don't have to ever go through, but you know, let, let's do it, right? So <laughs> I think if I look back, I think some of the, the essence of what really was important for me and what really worked well for me was putting myself out there in, in certain ways, right? So like I did um, public speaking for free at like meetups and user groups and, and code camps and even some, <clears throat> excuse me, at some of the conferences and stuff that, uh, you know, that would, would have me at the time. Mm -hmm. And then uh, started the podcast and having the podcast audience really, really helps, right? Because, you know, podcasts in particular as, as you know, or we'll quickly find out, have a very interesting relationship between the host and the listeners. Like I, I'm a big fan of podcasts and I listen to many of them and I feel like I know the people who mm -hmm. host the shows. Like they don't know me, right, at all or mm -hmm. very, very uh, limited amounts. But still you have like this, there's just something personal about it where it's not so much that people unreasonably trust you but they kind of have they kind of know you and they're like oh i know this person I, I know their intentions and they seem like a good guy or girl and you know they want to help you in your endeavors right mm -hmm. so I, I found a lot of my opportunities like my first really successful job came as a result of me speaking at code camps and user groups and meetups and i didn't even apply to it like i ended up we were moving from california to the east coast at the time and I had just quit my job and, you know, the next week I get a message like, hey, we saw you present this code camp. This is awesome. Uh, how would you like to get paid for it full time? And you just, you know, do hmm. this once or twice a month and that could be your job. I'm like, that sounds pretty good because I just quit my job. Let's do that, right? Like I didn't even have to apply. Wow. I didn't even know that it existed, right? It just like it just fell out of thin air. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, once I started the podcast and, and built that up for a while, like, I launched my software training company on Kickstarter. The Kickstarter funded in 12 hours, right? Mm. Like, so, and I've also tried other startups and they utterly failed, even though the tech was great, the idea was great. Like 
nobody showed up, right? It was not the field of dreams, right? <laughs> like nightmares or whatever, right? You build it, they don't come. And I think <laughs> the, the lesson that I have is like one, you know, be genuine, really focus your skills and, and whatnot. But on top of that, it's really important to like make these connections and, and build these audiences or, or, you know, that could be a blog, that could be public speaking, that could be a YouTube channel. Like, I don't know what it, what it means for somebody, but I th- mm-hmm. think that that's a really interesting angle. And that's what I would try again. I would just like, if I had to start over to be new YouTube channel or a new podcast or new, you know, something like that. Okay. And I'm sure uh, maybe at least starting out, how would you deal? Well, I, let me pose the question this way. How would one deal with imposter syndrome? Oh man, imposter syndrome doesn't go away. (laughs) You just get used to it. It never gets better. Right? Like, well, when I started the podcast, right? I was like, look, I don't really know. I've only been doing Python for like two years at a time. And I, you know, not, I wasn't any sort of expert, but no one else was doing it. So I'm going to be better than everyone else doing it. <laughs> you know, and my thought was, well, if the internet doesn't make too much fun of me, I'll keep doing this. Basically, <laughs> like, people seem to appreciate it. And it's not too much, uh, dude, you have no idea what you're doing right. sort of response. Then I'll keep doing it. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, I, if, if that didn't work, right. I would have just gone on and done something else. It, you know, what's the worst thing that would have happened to me if, if I tried it and it didn't work out. Right. I, mm-hmm. I would have wasted uh, you know, Saturday mornings for like a couple of months or whatever. Like that's probably a time I'm sleeping in or who knows what, right? Like it's mm-hmm. not actually like the people just in, as humans, we just fear and like, ex, like feel failure and negativity way more than we feel positivity. And so we're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, we, we evolved in a time where that noise in the jungle that could eat you. And now like, okay, something negative, like it's, it's not that negative. What's going to happen to you. Right. Probably. Sure. Not. So that's my thought on imposter syndrome. I mean, obviously it's real and like, you got to work through it, but it's like, remind yourself that it's, you know, what's the consequence of it. It's really like this sort of feeling that is, it doesn't have, have as much power of you as it feels like it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Like, yeah, you don't, you don't have a good reason to be fearful. It's like, uh, you have so much upside and the downside is, uh, yeah, maybe your ego gets bruised a little or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, like focus on, on the one or two things that you need to do, right? Like if somebody said, Hey Michael, I need you to b- build like a machine learning model. That's going to do this thing. It's going to do this art AI. I th- like I have no idea. I, I, I basically be starting from scratch mm-hmm. <laughs> other than I have some visibility into the language and the the tools and the libraries and what might be like the right one to pick. But like, I've never done any of that stuff. Uh, but I built web apps, right? Like, so I've, I've focused right. on the thing that I, I need to just, you learn them one at a time, no matter where you are in your career. It's just, you've got this, like these layers of sediment of like experience you've laid mm-hmm. down, but like each one of those layers was built like one little bit at a time. So yeah. that, that's where you can start. Yeah. That's uh, okay. So as far as the experience goes, what do you, what do you think? Cause I'm also in that same boat. Like I, I got caught in a catch 22 when I graduated school, it was like even going through school to get an internship, you needed work experience. And you're like, well, I'm trying to get the internship so I can get work experience. So how do you, uh, how do you kind of navigate that or? Well, I was, I was really lucky in that 
when I was in school and I was in grad school, I did a little bit of programming with C++ on some research projects. Mm-hmm. And my first job I got, my first real dev job was doing like this very narrow thing that I had learned really well. I'm like, I know almost nothing about programming, but this one thing you need me to do, I'm really good at, I actually know that really, really well. So, okay. you know, let's, I can do this job. I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I can do this job. Right. So right. I got a little bit lucky, but if I look back and of course, you know, that's 25 years ago. If I look back now and think, what would I do now? <clears throat> Excuse me. What would I do is I would say probably I would try to find some kind of work just for the sake of getting that, that first step. Because I feel like that first step is so hard, right? Mm-hmm. So I would look on places like um, TopTal, Upwork. I would look at, at like some of these sort of broader options. I would I would try to be on, I don't know, Stack Overflow and sort of you know, on my blog or my other, on my social media, I would like say, Hey, I'm looking for this opportunity. And I would, I would probably take crappy jobs Mm -hmm. just once or twice, like really short. Like I might go on to say Upwork and work for like $20 an hour for three weeks, you know, $20 an hour is not a ton of money, but like if I can check it off and say, look at this part of the web app, this is a project I worked on. Mm -hmm. That's a huge step up that ladder, right? Like, Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily do it quite for free, but I would, I'd, I feel like I would try to use these platforms like Upwork and other places to get just that first step. And I would be super modest in, in how much I charge and how much I try to see that as a direct job. More, I would almost see that as like a residency or, or something and just mm-hmm. you know, like on subsistence level for a month or something so that I, I have that step over like, you know, 50% of the other applicants who are, are new and they like, well, I took a really cool course in school. It's like, you know what? That's awesome. <laughs> Look, Michael built this web app. That's cool. And it's on the internet. You know what I mean? Like right. just, that's probably the, the path I would take mm-hmm. in parallel to that. I would try this like public speaking, like uh, YouTube meetup, whatever. Like I would try something like that as well. Uh, but that's more a little bit long term, and so in the short term, I would try to just do anything I can to get like that first bit. And internships are interesting, but they're very—I feel like internships are very like funneled through this academic layer mm-hmm. of the industry, right? Like I'm in a college and I've got this summertime, or I've got this other thing. You know, what about the fall when all the interns go back to school? Like, is there an opportunity to like do small time work, or like there's probably a lot of options if you're willing to not go like right down that traditional, I'm coming for two months in the summer story, I, I would guess, but I haven't tried it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that, that uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. Almost just have this mentality of your compensation is the experience and yeah. knowing long-term it'll, you know, the reward will be get real big. Um, just focus on the experience, try not to have money signs in the eyes focus on service. That's kind of what I'm, I'm hearing out of you there. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's pretty much it. Cause I feel like if you come in and try to ask for a U.S. or Western level developer pay on something like Upwork, people are going to be like, you better, you might get that, but you have to be really good. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you come in and say, I'm willing to work for like 10 bucks an hour, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just here to like get this job. Like it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? And just, I feel like you could probably make that happen. And then once you've got that experience, you don't have to tell anybody you did it for $10 an hour. You have this experience, you built this thing. Now, like what's the next step? Sure. Yeah, that, that is excellent. Um, you had mentioned some experience with Kickstarter and I'm, I'm always kind of just like selfishly curious, like how, you know, um, when, so you have this idea, but in its infant stages, it's like, you're basically making something out of nothing. Yeah. How do you, how do you kind of like vet that idea and then, um, to make sure that it's even like a viable thing and then monetizing it. I mean, that's kind of, um, that's the ultimate goal, but I mean, it's definitely like a cert. You have to have a service mindset this whole time, but you got to add value. So can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, of course. At that point in my career, I had been doing, working at a a software training company, like kind of like I told you before uh, about getting the job when I quit and moved from California. Mm -hmm. I had been teaching training is in person bit uh traveling over the u.s and around the world doing a lot of interesting like one week courses and we had started doing some online stuff there and i saw what was really working with our online stuff which was some little bits and some mm-hmm. stuff that really wasn't working and i'm like i i see what the mistakes are i know that i can do this better mm-hmm. right and um i had a i had a lot of experience creating these courses you know, talking to clients about what, what they wanted, what they didn't want. And so I, I feel like I've, I had a bit of an unfair advantage. I, it wasn't starting as from scratch as maybe it looked right there. Like I had been doing this for 10 years for someone else. Mm-hmm. Now let me do like what I think is a better version and I'm going to use Kickstarter to get it started. Now the truth is I would have done it without Kickstarter. Okay. And so I had the podcast going for a year and had just enough money that like I would subsist on the ad revenue, right? I mean, I had like 16 year old twin daughters who are going to college in two years after that. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. you know, just go and move to like Thailand and like live on ramen noodles or something. Like I, it had to work, right? Right, right. We had, a, we had like call it two college tuitions coming up. Like it had to work. So, mm-hmm. so it was a little concerning, but I knew that with the podcast, I was getting enough revenue from just straight ads that you know, we wouldn't be like thrown out on the street. We would just have to live more tight, right? Mm-hmm. So, well then, what, you know, my thought was, okay, I'm going to quit this job that I had with the training company. There's a long story about like some changes there and whatnot, but it doesn't really matter. So I, I'm going to quit that. I'm going to start these courses. And what, what's the, basically, what is the launch strategy of that? Mm-hmm. It's going to take me four to six weeks to create the first course. If I go like heads down eight, 10 hours a day and just like write like crazy and record and polish it. So the options are, I can just say, Hey, I quit my job and then just do that. And in like four to six months, four to six weeks, tell everyone on the podcast and then try to promote and market this thing and say, look what I built. I hope you love it. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't I also just go ahead and create a Kickstarter? Like, it fits with the theme of Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. I have no risk in terms of like, if it succeeds, that's amazing, right? Like I don't have to do, like it's, it's something that came out of nowhere. If it doesn't succeed, maybe I'll be able to learn why and I can use that to help adjust it earlier in that project rather mm-hmm. than later. Um, 
yeah, so I'm just like, look, there's no downside. So one of the tricks, not tricks, one of the techniques that I found really valuable, uh, the Kickstarter was only for like $3,000, dollars Yeah, that's probably not enough to like live on, right? After taxes (laughs) and all that. But the the idea was if you, if the Kickstarter doesn't, I could have put $30,000, right? Mm -hmm. And it it would have probably still, it would have still funded probably unless there's some psychology that would change. But, (laughs) but like my thought was, would I do this if I only got $2,000? Mm. Yeah, I was going to do it for zero. Like I didn't need Kickstarter to do it, but a Kickstarter was a nice like early feedback mechanism. So okay. let me make it low. And then like at each step, you can get more feedback and interaction with the people who are your best supporters. Like, okay, this is funded. We're going to be focusing on this stuff. What is most important to you? And if, if we get a little bit more funding, we'll have these stretch goals and we'll do this other extra thing on top of it. And so there's just a lot of interesting early feedback that you would get besides like, I built this thing. I hope you like it, you know? <laughs> so I use Kickstarter more as like, as that, but it also mm-hmm. gave me a huge confidence that I wasn't like wasting my, my future, my family's future. It was like mm-hmm. after 12 hours, I'm like, no, this is a good idea. I'm so glad I quit my job. <laughs> right. You know, like 12 <laughs> hours into it, I'm like, yeah, this, this is, this is what I wanted to do. But we're, we're on the right track. Right. So there was also a really good early indicator that uh, things were working out. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent information. Um, I might be kind of jumping ahead here, but I'm just kind of curious, like, I guess, well, I'm not, I'm not going to prime the question too much. I'm just going to let it fire here. But um, does the world need more Python training? That is a really interesting question. And when I announced the, the, um, the Kickstarter and the project, I, I blogged, my goal for the next two years is to create 20 ultra high quality Python courses mm-hmm. for the world, right? There was a couple of people that responded to that blog and said, look, dude, you don't, why are you doing this? Like YouTube okay. already has free stuff on it. Mm-hmm. And this is actually, YouTube was an even less good of a state at this point. Like there was like, you know, there was like echoey videos at like, you know, 1080, <laughs> 1080p or some ridiculous like resolution with like tiny fonts mm. and they were you know like all these little disjoint little lessons mm-hmm. um, the world needed something better than that for sure <laughs> but you know the the person said that and then what was really nice is a bunch of my former students from like in-person training and other stuff said no you don't understand michael's going to create something really nice here it's not just like some other random thing thrown up on the internet this is going to be something polished right mm-hmm. um I mean, like one of our courses, we spent nine months, three of us working on it, like all the time. Like, is that so, that hundred days of code one? Yeah, yeah. This is the hundred days of uh, hundred days of web one, which is oh, even, okay. Yeah, which is like the follow up to hundred days of code course. So, does the world need more Python training? It doesn't need just more like bunch of stuff thrown together because people are like sort of interested, but it, it didn't, what it didn't have. And what I think, you know, putting the stuff that I'm trying to work on aside, I still don't think it has very much is like one place with really deep, polished, efficient learning, right. Mm-hmm. Around Python. There's a, there's a lot of things that like teach you, here's what a loop is. Here's what a function is, et cetera. But I don't think there's a lot of stuff that really takes you through the process of like being a software developer on this project 
creating mm-hmm. creating this right like my flask course like we rebuild pypi from scratch right pypi or like the python package index.org mm-hmm. right uh there's not that much of that uh so i i still think that there's really a place for you know great work in that space and like I think that's true for JavaScript. I think that's true for C++. I think that's probably true for C Sharp. I think there's a lot of, there's still, for really good learning, I think there's still plenty to do. Part of that is because there's not that many people doing it. There's a ton of people that just hit record and they'll just like talk for 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. They're not like super respecting your time, right? They're not like, what, are the, what is the essence of what I need to work, convey to you and spending a month? Uh, but the other part is like, even if you build that, right, give it three years and that no longer is relevant technically, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so it has to be recreated and there's just not that many people putting like really highly polished stuff out there, I think. Yeah, I can, I can agree with that. I, that's what I really crave just myself uh, kind of coming up to speed with this whole thing. It's like you have... I call it like textbook land and real world land. Yes, <laughs> and it's yeah, kind of yeah, like, yeah. it's like, like I want this real world stuff. I want to be able to go back to work and implement, you know, like solve problems at my work. And, um, and that's actually one thing I really have enjoyed about your training is, uh, just how super practical it is. So, um, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's super top notch. I could, I could definitely agree with you on that. Um, Thanks. yeah, I, I feel like that the way, um, we're taught in college, is sort of fundamentally broken around uh, computer science. I think it expects a, like extreme delayed gratification, right? Like mm-hmm. you're gonna take a C++ class or some programming class or whatever, you're gonna learn loops and variables and heaps and pointers and all of this. And then maybe, maybe after <laughs> six months, you can do something interesting, but you probably gotta take another six months and learn something else before you can do anything interesting. Mm-hmm. And the truth is like within a few hours, you can actually start building things and like, being productive and having these cool wins. And I think that, you know, I keep saying this, I should just not say this, but, (laughs) (laughs) but until the world starts creating a bunch of that, that kind of learning, right? Like where it's a few hours rather than a few months of, in, um, sort of, I'm going to start learning this before it starts to pay off. I think there's lots of, um, opportunities for training in all sorts of places. Sure. Yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent. And kind of something else you brought up about like salt, the whole solving problems thing, um, a little random, but just traveling, uh, yesterday and I got delayed for like 12 hours basically at the airport. So I was like, what do I do? So I just started like talking with people and, uh, one guy, we kind of got into it, uh, just going deep into like what each person does. And then we started talking about like, you know, like world population. And I was like, yeah, like that's how they introduce a lot of like data science concepts. That's like the, the world bank data set is what they give you. And then you start doing like these fundamental things, but it's like, holy cow, like we've got like, like tens of billions of people, like (laughs) how much garbage are we generating? Like, uh, the whole, the whole thing with, uh, capitalism is based on consumption and that creates more garbage. (laughs) Like it's just all this stuff is like, Like when it comes to solving problems and Python, where do you think the big opportunities are for not only like, like solving a problem and making money, but like making an impact? Like we need, yeah, we need people that, that can make an impact. Yeah, we definitely need people that can make an impact. I mean, there's a lot of, 
there's economics, there's climate, there's justice. I mean, there's like so many things that we could all be focusing on that would be, you know, really, really important. So in terms of Python, I do think the data science stuff has the ability to make a lot of impact because it can tell stories, right? Like, okay, it's, it's one thing to say, you generate this much garbage. It's another thing to say, here's how much your country generates in terms of garbage relative to the other. And uh, over, like, there's just like some really interesting statistics and storytelling, like Hans mm. Rawling, I think it was, did an incredible talk uh, on just like how data tells the story over time. And, and so I think that's, that's really good. But, you know, I think you got to start with like, what is the problem I'm trying to solve and how can I solve it, right? Mm-hmm. You want to do something with solar energy, right? That doesn't start with Python, but it probably undoubtedly involves web apps, APIs, automation, et cetera. So I think you've got to find like the thing that you want to do to make an impact. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you kind of got to work backwards, right? And there's like two ways you got to work backwards. The, the technical way in Python is like popular and super powerful. And like, unless you want a mobile app, <laughs> that's probably a really good option to mm-hmm. solve the problems that you're solving. And even if you do, you probably need APIs and it's good there. The other one though is, you know, the technology is not enough. I told you about like the field of broken dreams. Like <laughs> you've, you've got to have like a marketing, you know, as much as developers think marketing is like a bad word and salespeople are slimy and why do they get all the money anyway? And they don't do anything like <laughs> put that aside, regardless of whether or not that's true. Like mm-hmm. you, it is super hard to make connections and, and get people interested in your thing it's easier to build now, but it's harder to make that happen because there's just so much noise out there. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think you got to think about like, okay, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? And like, can I like build these two pillars? One, like awareness marketing and whatnot. And the other is technical. And a lot of people feel like, well, the challenge is technical and that's true. But I think the path to solve technical problems is more direct and predictable than it is to like, actually get it out there and not not everything needs like customers and whatnot but like you're usually trying to sell something to someone in terms of an idea right like Mm -hmm. even if you're trying to sell like political change to a government or or whatever right like you've got you've got to like promote that and get some grassroots support for that and that that actually is where the really hard part is that most developers are not super good at Hmm. i i guess that's good news for uh (laughs) just the fact that like programming like the no, getting the knowledge is not the issue it's it's kind of like executing it so if you believe in that yeah. kind of concept like the, the good the good news is uh there's there's still um you know code is part of the problem marketing is part of the problem it sounds like and yeah. if you could just really focus on the marketing and pick up the, the code skills and you can really be effective yeah so, well i think the code is absolutely like being good at software and saying, I can build a thing that'll solve this problem in two weeks mm-hmm. with two people, rather than we'll fumble around for six months and not have a great elegant thing. Like that is a super big competitive advantage. Okay. But it's, it's sort of like the table stakes of the story. You know what I mean? Like, okay, great. You can now play in this arena, but that doesn't mean you're winning. No, no, no. That means <laughs> you get to play. Now, what are you going to do to make this mm-hmm. successful? Now are we going to do to make an impact? And like, that's the, that's the part where uh, 
where maybe people don't plan around a lot or they haven't fully thought through or, you know, it's, it's just hard. Yeah. There, nothing, nothing, uh, uh, hard is, uh, well, I, I don't know the, the, the saying exactly. I kind of goofed it up, but nothing worth doing is easy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So yeah, pretty much. And also you kind of fetch on the fact that like ideas are not like the end all be all. Uh, mm. I, I think you were saying, right. Like it's the execution, right? Like I, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to do it, but I can tell you some of the ideas that I have that I want to do. People go, that's sure. a cool idea. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to do it. Right. Because right. one, like, are they super inspired to do it? Two, are they persistent? Right. Like, you know, good develop people often think good developers are ones that are like genius or whatever. Like they're just super persistent. Mm. Like, silly stubborn right you're like this isn't working why is this api suck i don't know but i'm gonna keep trying for like two days until it, it works you know like have you mm. ever tried off like it's horrible so it's just it's just like the just keep going a lot of people like maybe they'll do that for something but probably not this random idea that you're going to share and then suppose all that works they still have to do the marketing side <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so I, I don't know it, i just i think um action trumps these ideas and like inspiration and dedication. Like you've just got to have those things. Mm. Excellent. And, and we kind of briefly uh, went here, but I, I just want to make sure we're covering it. So as far as like who should be a programmer, is it just these persistent uh, individuals or, you know, should we teach everyone to have coding skills? Yeah. Well, you know, you hear politicians say, there's a million programmer jobs that are going unfilled in the United States because we're not prepared and we need to make more programmers. And (laughs) that, I feel like that fundamentally misses the point. Like maybe, maybe we need some more programmers that are just straight. Like I went to CS and I'm ready to create some awesome app. Tell me what your what you need solved and I'll do that with a web app or a mobile app or whatever. But I think what we need way more than that is people who have some specialization, right? Maybe they're specialists in chemistry and they're studying like the chemistry of photovoltaic cells for climate change. I don't want that person to stop doing that. Right. And become like a JavaScript front-end developer. Please don't do that. (laughs) What I would much rather have them do is gain a little bit of programming skill and superpower their research or their project because for everyone who needs to be a programmer, there are 10 or 20 or 50 people who are doing like real important work with their specialty, engineering, law, whatever. If they had like a little bit of programming, you know, like a couple of courses level of programming, they could like crush their job in terms of productivity. They could crush Mm -hmm. their competition in terms of like who they're working with. I mean, think if like you're a research biologist, and you're competing for some project or like a job, whatever, with another similarly educated person. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, but I built all this incredible automation to run my, my experiments. And then we just push this and it goes into like Jupyter and it runs in Docker over there on these GPUs. And we get like basically real-time feedback from our cell research. The other person's like, well, I'm pretty good with Excel. Like, <laughs> those are not, <laughs> these are not comparable. Hires are not comparable. Careers are not comparable. Um, mm in terms of productivity, right? So I think that's actually much easier as a society for us to uh, come up with, right? Like, could I teach a biologist enough to like do some analysis with pandas and Jupiter? 
way easier than I could convince them to leave biology and become a developer and write JavaScript for like Angular, right? Like that doesn't make any sense. Right. The politicians seem to like keep talking about like this as if we need more Angular developers. And I think we need more super powered people inspired about their thing. So Mm. that that's my thought on who, whether or not we need more developers and what they, how we get there. Excellent. Yeah. The immediate question that I have uh, for you is, so these these folks uh, that you, that you uh, are describing, they're typically like very engulfed with their daily business. Like maybe even you know their mental bandwidth is like 110 percent consumed. How do you how do you kind of like break through or or show them the way or something to basically yeah. like hey if you were just willing to um, pick these skills up, like you would be, you know, unmatched in your capabilities. How do you, how do you break through to folks like that? You know, being busy is both a mindset, but it's also sometimes a reality, right? Like Mm -hmm. let me give you a a non-tech example for a bit. So when I was in college and early grad school, I had no kids. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was super busy, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have so much work. Life is so crazy. I've got this this chemistry test. I've got this this linear algebra test coming up. And I got to do this. And then I, I want to get out and just get a little bit of uh, time away from the book. So I need to do this. And then I had twins, second half of grad school. Mm-hmm. And then I had a full-time job with kids and what. And it's just like, it's a whole nother level. Like you think you you are too busy. And then like somehow you are way more busy than that later. Hmm. You know what I mean? But you still find a little time for yourself or whatever. So there's definitely this aspect of like, if you really, really care about it, you'll, you'll go, you'll find the time, right? Like there's, there's 30 minutes of TV you could not watch probably. Mm -hmm. And no matter who you are, there's probably, I mean, I know there's some extreme examples, but speaking to 95% of the people there, there's 30 minutes of time you can find for something you're super passionate about. But that doesn't mean these people are super passionate about learning programming, right? Right. They're probably maybe even try to avoid like STEM type topics, right? Mm-hmm. So I think part of the other part of that story is it's not that much, right? I've, I think people see programming as super hard. They see it as uh, only a certain type of people can do that. Mm-hmm. They see it as I have to do a computer science degree for this to be meaningful. And, you know, I don't think any of that's true. Like, I think if you took four, five hour online courses and you put 20 hours into each, you would be that hurt, that biologist I described. You know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's 30 minutes for half a year or something like this from your home. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. not even going to a class. So, I mean, maybe that doesn't work for everyone, but I think that works for a lot of people. And if you could say, could you spend 30 minutes? five days a week for six months to be the best at your company or the best at your field in the thing that you do care about. Not like to get you to go right angular again. I think that's a great idea. Does that make sense? I, I think people would go actually really like these online courses were like 30 bucks and it cost me this amount of time and it would do what to my career. Right? Like mm-hmm. I think the story is not being told right it's being told that like we all need to be programmers and isn't data science and programming such a hot career. Isn't it better than yours? Right? Like I don't, I don't think that's even necessarily true because 
once you have your specialization intersected with your with like programming skills, now you're in a much smaller selection pool and specialization. And I think it really puts you in a good place. So um, that's what I would say to them is like, it's way more attainable than you think. And it's mm-hmm. not as hard as you think. And the, the payoff is probably bigger than you think. Excellent. And another little nugget I could pull out of there just uh, with for the audience is basically whatever limits you think you're kind of like have on your on yourself, like mentally and physically, you could probably push yourself a little farther. Like, it's just is that is that a fair statement? I think that's absolutely a fair statement. And I also think that people uh, feel like they have to be really good at math, or even mm-hmm. care about math or do math in order to to do these things. And I haven't even used algebra for like 15 <laughs> years of my programming. I actually work for a scientific visualization company where we did insane math and some of our software we wrote. But for the most part, like you don't even have to care about math or those types of things. It's just, do you care about your problem? Is there a way to like apply some of this incredible tools and libraries of 2019 and beyond mm-hmm. quickly to them and just like, you know, cause usually what happens is you usually end up solving the problems that you hate the most, mm. right? Like why just every Friday do I have to get up and type all of this stuff into a <laughs> cell and then by hand, I have to like move this over and then rectify that. Like that's four hours of every Friday that you're like, I can't wait for the weekend to be here. Like if right. you could push a button and it happened in 10 seconds and then it could just be real time. Like wouldn't sign that be better? <laughs> you know, yeah, like sign me up. It's, it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where do I sign up? man? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, I hear that story a lot of people like programming. Yeah, thanks. What? Why do you think Python is so popular amongst data scientists? Like, it seems like it's almost monopolized the whole thing. It, it has. I think th- its popularity among data scientists and the scientific group in general, which is mm-hmm. why it's kind of like calling out biology. I think it is a manifestation of why Python is popular in general, but it's like more relevant to those types of groups. So um, what I I think the reason is, is that I think Python is what I'm describing as a full spectrum language. Okay. So best understood by like an an, counter example. So if I want to do really quick programming, maybe I use MATLAB as say a biologist and I can come up with some stuff but it's not really a program. I've got this thing, like a report I can run in this software, but like, what if I want to put it on the web? What if I want to plug it into like our actual company stuff? They're like, no, no, no. You have like this, this toy thing or uh, like maybe somebody has used like visual basic with like the drag and drop bits or something. <laughs> and you can go a certain length with those visual basic pretty far actually, but let's just say mm-hmm. with Mala, for example, um, you can do some really interesting stuff, but you can't build real software with it. Okay. The way people tell you to go build real software is they say you learn C++ or Java or one of these computer science heavy languages with lots of syntax, lots of ideas, lots of complexity. Like it has all the complexity needed to build your operating system, but you have to do that for like a simple scientific analysis thing, right? You've got to learn about linkers and compilers and headers and classes and like, why is this so complicated? I just want to do this simple thing, right? But mm-hmm. Python has this like super simple way to get started. You don't have to like you no know, programming concepts almost at all, like functions, classes, all these things. Like they don't even have to exist. You can be super effective with Python with a partial, like a very partial understanding of what it is. Mm-hmm. But as you need to like know more and more, like it, it 
continues to grow all the way up to running YouTube and Instagram and, uh, you know, CERN analysis and things like this, right? So it has like this full spectrum aspect. So you can start super simple, but then you can consume these really powerful libraries like TensorFlow and Pandas and whatnot. And then you don't ever go like, well, it was really cool that I worked here, but now I got to go work in this other language typically because it, it's not like you hit this limit. So I think it's really enticing to data scientists and scientists in general because it, it has like this really small subset that you only need to know to like actually be productive. Mm-hmm. But nobody's going to tell you to stop using it because you now it's time to build real software, right? Mm. Um, and I, I think that that's one of its, its appeals. It, it sucks people in with this incredible simplicity and the powerful tools that are available, uh, but then they don't have to leave again. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true in general, but because of the scientists and the, the data scientists, most of the scientists, they, they're not there to be programmers. They're there to solve their science problem. Right. right? So this, this, this simplicity appeals more, right? Like someone who's there to be a developer, they don't care about public static main void. Like they're willing to like go through all that business. Mm. Um, but a lot of people on the edges of, of like programming, they don't care or want that. And so mm-hmm. they really love the simplicity, but it's like, then, you know, then they stay. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you think this is going to, the trajectory of adoption, do you think it's going to, even be more intense in the years to come or what's your, what's your take on that? Like is, is it still good to get into it? Oh, I think it's definitely still good to get into it. There's a, a cool stack overflow article called the incredible growth of Python and they, they're using um, statistics to predict out. Okay. And Python is like close to the most popular and depending on which measure you take. But mm-hmm. if you look at the graphs that the data scientists there are projecting, it's like, it's clearly the place to be. Hmm. Uh, there are shortcomings of Python that in some ways either don't, they, they make cause problems for it, right? For example, like there's not a good story for Python on mobile, right? Mm-hmm. I, I can't, technically I can create an iOS app with it, but I can't reasonably create an iOS app with it. For example, um, maybe there's shifts in the industry where that like really matters. Mm-hmm. I would say that matters probably you need to consider does that matter more for me than it does it matter more for like the career right um there's just a few things like that where like if you have to be in that space like it's not a super thing to learn you may be better off learning i don't know swift or or, or kotlin or, or you know some other language right but in mm-hmm. like as a blanket statement i think it's still a good place to be okay awesome yeah i'm i'm always uh primed for information like that so <laughs> Uh, okay. So regarding operating a business, you've been doing this successfully for, for how long, uh, as a, how many since, well, it depends. So I started the podcast, which was sort of the foundation. So that was like one part of the one layer of the business. I've been doing that since April, 2015. Okay. And then the story I tell you about quitting my job and starting to launch the first course on Kickstarter. That was mm-hmm. February. I'm telling you, it was February 16th, 2016. I remember because uh, February 15th was my uh, first day of what I like to refer to as freedom. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is, uh, so re- regarding, regarding that, because um, you're also a, a PSF fellow, and I was researching um, kind of the requirements for that. Like you have to, 
it's basically given to you and you, you earn the trust of the community and you're basically embodying their mission, which is to, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but my interpretation of it is to basically help promote like the adoption of Python and doing it, doing it in kind of like a, with unity in mind. Um, yeah. so, so is it, is it safe to say that you've been successful as a entrepreneur with Python because you embody the PSF? That's a good question. Um, I, I think that is true, but I don't think that is true on purpose. Okay. What I mean is like, I didn't even know about this PSF fellow concept before mm-hmm. I was nominated for it. I'm like, wait, I did, I got what, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> um, I was really honored by, I hadn't heard of it before. Uh, but I do think, you know, I just try to be a friendly, helpful person. Mm-hmm. I, I love like talking to folks and like telling their story. And I, I think that that really meshed well with that. So I, I think just coincidentally, like it's, it was the right place for me to be, but I, I didn't necessarily do that on purpose. You know what I mean? Okay. Sure. It wasn't conscious anyway, like that, that I was trying to do that. Although but, I don't hate that I do, but like uh, it right. wasn't like a goal, you know? Mm-hmm. But it, it's almost like uh, that, that same uh, mentality, I guess, like, you know, like if you're service minded in business, but you're service minded in the community, it's like community building or business building. Like it's, it's almost one in the same, like, yeah, it's all about I the agree. outcome. I definitely have a sort of abundance mindset of the world mm-hmm. and that's come back to help a lot. Right. And what I mean is like somebody asked for help. I'm, you know, I'm willing to give them some help, right? Like um, whether that's in podcasting or in development or in, in training or whatever. Right. I feel like the value of me helping them, they're going to come back to me at some point and say, you know, Michael helped me out this thing. I have this opportunity or this, your recommendation or whatever mm-hmm. would be perfect for him rather than, well, if I keep my secrets all bundled up, you know, no one, no one's going to know my secrets and I'll be able to, you know, stay ahead in whatever weird way that would be. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I think definitely think helping people and putting yourself out there is worth it. Absolutely. Uh, regarding, so if we can stay on this topic, I wanted to talk about mental game a little bit. Sure. So yeah. what is, what has kind of been like a, a good nugget for you that, or regarding like mental game that's really like help you persist here. And maybe we've already talked about it, but I just want to hammer on it from, from that specific. Yeah. Angle. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about this forever cause I, I, it's, it's a really challenging aspect and I definitely love it. Um, you talked about the imposter syndrome stuff a little bit and you kind of got to keep reminding yourself that like what you're doing, you know, eventually is going to have an impact. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and if you feel like you're not necessarily qualified to do it, like eventually you will, you know, there's all these like quotes and stuff like learning to fly on the way down and, and things like that. But that's a little bit part of it that that's true is like, um, you start out doing these things and you don't, you're not really qualified to do many of them, (laughs) but you know, if you want to learn how to swim, you got to get wet. Like basically like Mm -hmm. how to go, right. It's great to study. It's great to like think and plan, but eventually it's time to get in the pool and just flail about until you start going across the water. Right. 
And it's, it's a lot like that. And so I, I think there's a lot of, a lot that you can do to keep yourself positive. So for, I'll just give you one example, right? So I can't remember what it was. Let's take the mobile apps, right? So like I, I recently, about six months ago, created along with uh, another developer I hired some mobile apps and it was a huge pain. Like it was a lot of work. Um, another example would be say the GDPR compliance stuff. We all had to like go mm. through as part of that, right? Um, when I think of these things at some point or even like simple, simple stuff, like I'm creating this online course. I spent 15 hours editing video. My wrist hurts. It's no fun. This sucks. <laughs> I can't believe I keep saying that word and have to edit that out. Right? Like all of these things, you could look at this and go, well, this is no fun. This sucks. I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. Or you could look at this and go, anyone else who wants to do what I'm doing, they have to do this too. Mm. good i hope it sucks more <laughs> i hope it is harder i hope nobody makes this easier because i'm willing to do this right and a lot of them try and they go this sucks i'm out of here so i i see like when people often look at like things that are difficult or painful like the first thought is like can i make it easier can i automate it but if like at some point like if it has to be done like you have to edit videos mm -hmm. and, like eventually you're gonna hire people to do it and stuff but like there are just these things you have to do that are not that fun. And so I view those as like a moat, mm -hmm. right? Like that is defending my position uh, of what I'm, I'm trying to build. And anyone who wants to also do this, they got to come across that moat. And mm -hmm. I know like nine out of 10 of them are just going to hit that and go, yeah, no. So, so whenever I see these things that are like challenging, instead of getting discouraged, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I really try to not let that mentality like just make me do stupid stuff, do mm -hmm. things or whatever. But like once, like I'm sure there's no better way. Like then, then I sort of like try to talk myself into like, it's good. This is hard. It's good that my wrist hurts and I hate editing this thing because everyone hates editing it. And I've talked to people and they all hate it. Right. <laughs> but, but it's good. I'm glad they hate it. Right. Isn't that, a, it's a kind of a weird mentality, but like those kind of, um, I don't wish like negativity on people, but like, I'm glad that it's not easy because if it were super easy, everyone would be doing it and it wouldn't be special. Yeah. I, man, that's so empowering. Like basically just you run in, you run into something super difficult and your immediate reaction is great. Let's yeah. like, that's, <laughs> that's super empowering. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been very good on like uh, times I'm like, ah, I don't want to do this today. I, can I find something else to do? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, if I'm not, if I'm not careful, I'll be outside like plucking weeds or something instead of like, yeah. you know, like trying to do the, get more people on the podcast, for example. So it's like, yeah, if it wasn't, if it wasn't, uh, if it wasn't hard, like you said, I couldn't agree more. It would just be, it'd be a whole different scene. So, yep. well, thank yep. you for sharing that. That is uh, super empowering. So as far we're, we're kind of uh, burning through the time here pretty quick. So I'm just going to kind of zoom down to, uh, I want to, I want to hit on the ambitions that you have for you personally and your business in the next five years. I've, uh, bef before I, um, uh, have you answer that, I guess, like, I'll just share this. Like I signed up for the everything pack, um, last cyber Monday. And, um, even, even since then I've kind of seen things grow. And so I'm just kind of like the, the content was just freaking top notch. Like I, I go yeah. back to it continuously. 
So, um, like, yeah, I'm, I'm like secretly like, uh, really curious, like what is, you know, what, what is, what do you got cooking for us here? Well, I definitely have a, a long list of content and it's really comes down to, um, trade-offs of what can I uh, build? Like, I only can build so much so quickly. Like I have a, when I, I started this, I had a list of like 60 courses I wanted to build and I picked one to start with because you can only do one thing. And I, now mm-hmm. the list is even longer after I've got a bunch done. So the main goal is obviously just keep working on content. Um, it's getting to be good to have little more specialization, right? So I can now that I've kind of covered the main stuff, I've covered say the web frameworks, I've covered like databases and whatnot, can talk about things like Docker or as much as I've made fun of JavaScript, like Vue.js potentially as it relates to like talking back to Python APIs and um, whatnot. So we're planning like a, a Git course, we're doing some serverless stuff. Um, probably Docker uh, and, and things like that. So the goal is to just keep creating courses. Like mm-hmm. I, I, what I need is a really good way of knowing like of my 60 courses, what do people really value? And I've been thinking about like what ways I can do that. I mean, obviously I could just throw a survey out there, but like I, I want to get like meaningful, accurate data back. And I don't really know a super good way to do that. Just like, just with a survey or, or whatever. So on one hand, like keep creating content. I also want to bring in other authors. Like I have a handful of people already writing courses uh, with me, but I think that I can do more. What I, in terms of long, long-term goals, what I, mm-hmm. where I saw the training stuff being, it's like obviously me creating courses, but what I would really like it to be is like a place where like really passionate and talented Python teachers feel like, it's for them, right? Like there's a lot of places you can go and teach stuff online, you know, like Pluralsight, some mm-hmm. of these other places, but they're very, they have a couple of business model issues that make it kind of like, well, you put your stuff in there and then it just like either it floats or it sinks and like it just goes on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to structure things where like there's a lot of uh, upside for individual authors to like feel like they can promote their individual courses on my business. I think that's an interesting way to um, to grow when your like alternatives are you know two billion dollar public companies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how do you like so if you can get the people who are some of the best creators to be most passionate, like super passionate about promoting their stuff at your business, like I think that that's a really interesting angle to take, which is something I'm I'm doing. So there's some. Uh, possibly some new authors coming along a certain, and I'm going to probably do some more outreach there. So just really trying to grow, grow the course side and, and the podcast side, like just keep going. Right. Like mm-hmm. I don't think more podcasts is going to be better. I, I, you know, I probably could start yet another podcast, but I don't feel <laughs> like, I don't feel like that's as valuable as I like, continue to grow the training side of things for, it's definitely not as valuable for me and it's not as valuable. I don't think for others as well to have like a third, fourth and fifth podcast. So I, mm-hmm. I think I'll just, um, just keep working with people creating new courses. And I definitely have a list, a bunch that I'm working on now. Excellent. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to uh, be, be a part of that, like on the receiving, Thanks. you know, just consuming that content. Um, it certainly helped me with like upping my game. That's awesome. And thanks for the support. I mean, like there's so many people out there 
who are, you know, buying these classes and then like, I get to create a bunch more. It's kind of paying it forward a little bit as well. So appreciate yeah, that. absolutely. Um, so if there's a way to, to do this, like I, I want to end this on a, well, all of this is positive, but I'm curious about, you know, a, a point in your life where you had like a quantum leaf leap in success and kind of like an aha moment. I want to cover that, but I also want to learn about like a, epic failure that you had and kind of how, <laughs> how you, you know, picked yourself back up and what you got out of that. So can we start off with the epic failure and yeah. then go to the uh, quantum leap concept? Yeah. So I had tried to create like other little startups. I'd been trying like all these different things for a long time. And I would say the epic failure is just like fundamentally misunderstanding what it takes for a business to be a success rather than a piece of technology to be a success. Hmm. Right. And so I created some cool stuff like a little app for traveling, like a web app for traveling. It's before mobile was really an important thing. And so it was a web app and it was basically what trip it became. Right. But it was like really focused on like the best part of trip it. Did people care? No, I don't know how, like people, number of people signed up was probably like in the hundreds, you know, I was like incredibly small, but it was super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, that's actually happened to me more than once. And I would say the main lesson there is kind of like what I laid out before is right. Like it doesn't matter if the technology is perfect, right? That's table stakes. But then like, how are you going to like play and win the competition for attention and getting the word out there and whatnot. And there's a lot of things you can do. And there's a lot of techniques, but it's still, it's almost more important than building the technology. Hmm. Almost. Well, so I would say like my, my big failures have to do with misunderstanding that and then trying to build something that I thought was technically really cool. And it was, but it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that is uh, excellent to, I guess, figure out the sooner you figure that out and this goes for anyone, I guess, and the sooner you can implement it, that into your life, if you're trying to go the entrepreneurial route, I mean, it just sounds like it's going to pay massive dividends. Yeah. And I don't, I, I hesitate to like classify it as a failure. Right. I, I, it's more like it's part of the process. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a good quote, like, you know, my business didn't fail. I just paid for lessons. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> right. like I paid, but I didn't pay with money. I paid with time and excitement and energy mm -hmm. go anywhere. Um, but like that going through that process made it super clear what I needed to do for the next time. And then also going through that with the company I work for trying to create something similar to what I'm doing now and still seeing it not work. Like at first I thought, well, maybe it's just cause it's me. It's just like, Mm. It's just Michael building this thing. Like, no, we had this company that had like quite a bit of revenue and mm -hmm. you know, like 30 people working with it and around it. And it still had exactly the same problem. Like, yeah, no, that's not me. That's like a fundamental problem, uh, mm. challenge. And I, I just better find a way around it next time. Yeah. That's... I, I would call almost failure, but not really failure, like lessons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's a excellent little nugget for folks to chew on. Uh, is regarding like an aha moment. I'm curious, like, can you tell me just a, like a point in your life where you, you know, it was just like a, like a quantum leap in success. Yeah, sure. So I was working at a, a really cool small tech company in San Diego. Um, 
but I was basically working in the software side of things alone with a bunch of scientists for a while. And then we had another great developer that came along, but I wasn't able, like, so I didn't go and get a CS degree. So I had to like sort of backfill my skills a lot. So what I found Mm. was that something I could do that made a massive, massive difference was I would go and I would take my entire lunch break right? Like it's super easy to say, well, I'm going to go to lunch 30 minutes later. I'm back. If I had my food, I'm just going to sit back down and keep programming. But instead, I mean, it's easier in San Diego. I would take some kind of technical book, like a programming book or something. And I would sit outside in a little cafe or at the restaurant. And like, if there were 20 minutes left in lunch, I would read something for those 20 minutes. And I just did that every day. And after like a year or two, the amount of stuff that I had like really gotten figured out and polished probably better than if I went to college a lot of ways hmm. uh, just going like, look, I'm already on lunch break. Like let me take a book and make this time like dedicated to that. It made a huge difference. So then I said, all right, well now I know I'm really passionate about these few things I've been studying. Why don't I propose to do like some user group and code camp talks about that? So I, I do that. And that's where this company says, that was a great talk. We'll just pay you to do this. If you like, <laughs> like, if you're going to do it for free, we'll pay you to do it. And like, that was like my next job, right? Like, wow. So, you know, it's, it's not a quantum leap in the sense that like it was a little bit each day, but it was like so surprisingly little amounts of effort required, right? Like just, mm-hmm. just take like your lunch break and just read, uh, for the rest of the time that you got or whatever. And, um, yeah, then it became like just a, a huge jump. So, I mean, maybe today that's like, make sure you take the rest of your lunch break and listen to podcasts or you watch online courses or I don't know. There's like probably a better medium than books. Cause this is like 1999 or whatever. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, but like, so maybe it's not an exact match, but there's, there's right. like a little bit of, I guess it kind of goes back to that biology thing, right? Like you don't actually have to do that much more than everyone else to really get ahead. Yeah, that's awesome. The count, the compound effect really kicks yeah. in. Like, yeah. um, oh man, that's awesome. Uh, okay, so regarding your younger self, like, how would you? Because you've been you've been in the trenches. You've worked with clients. You've taught uh, many students. Like, I'm curious, real quick, how many students have you run through your courses? Um, let's see. Depends how we. I don't know. Maybe. 50,000, something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So there's been many, many, many thousands. So you've seen, and that's all awesome uh, metric, by the way. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> so you've, you've seen all the, you've been in the trenches, you've worked with students, you've seen these patterns with them. Um, you know, what would you, what would you tell your younger self if you were trying to basically hack your way back to the top and, and do it in like a fifth of the time, for example? boy a fifth of the time or no 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 it's it's, it's fine it's okay. a good yeah, yeah i know what you mean uh, how how do you just like do what you did but much more efficiently right yes and, and any big takeaways that you had too yeah, yeah sure i feel like i spent a lot of time as in the younger days just going what is interesting let me study that what is mm-hmm. interesting let me figure out what that is and not i didn't have like a a path like i'm here and i want to be there what are the steps to get there? It was just like, I was just kind of like forming like concentric rings of like stuff that I was interested in. And just like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, if the rings get big enough, they must go somewhere. Right? <laughs> yeah. like it's going to bump into something near. Like, 
uh, I would try to, I don't know exactly how I would do it, but I would try to be more um, focused and directed. Like I would have, I didn't have an end goal other than just become better at programming or mm. just cool stuff or what, you know what I mean? I would have like, I want to do this. Or I want to build that. Or like I would somehow have a, a destination in mind and okay. use that like kind of, I'm interested in these things, but like in that direction. Okay. I feel like, I mean, it's hard to kind of think that far back really what I was thinking, but I feel like I was unfocused in that regard and I could have been way more effective. Right. Okay. Yeah, that, that is, uh, so basically like if I were to just summarize for my own, uh, like usually I have to like hear it and then say it out loud to kind of fully process it. So like you're talking, like be more strategic, have focus, like it's going to be whatever Michael's vision was is going to be different than Ben's or someone else's. But as long as you have that, um, that's going to be better than just kind of, um, I mean, yeah, I think that's definitely more okay. true now, even because back then there were not that many choices of what mm-hmm. I could learn or I could study. Like there was C plus plus, and there was Java, and there's a few other things. But like now, there's like a hundred zillion little libraries I could learn or focus on, or so many programming. There's just so much, right? Like I feel like if you just try to learn it all, it's like boiling the ocean, right? So mm-hmm. you need a destination, and you're like, all right what are the, the few steps I got to take to actually get there? Um, like another challenge is figuring out what those steps are. But like, if you can figure that out or get help or mentorship or something to like figure out what are those steps, mm-hmm. it's probably a lot more efficient if you can be real focused, like if you have a, a goal. Okay, excellent. And uh, if you'll let me just keep prying here, uh, what is, like, like where is a good source of mentorship or is that something that you can even force? Like, it just kind yeah. of happens when it happens. Well, there's like, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Like third-party mentorship, like where you, where's one direction. Mm. So uh, you can definitely listen to like podcasts and watch YouTube videos and even take online courses and stuff like that. And I think uh, what I hear a lot of people around the podcast is they'll say, like when I first started, I thought, okay, who is going to be my audience? Like who is going to come and listen to this Python podcast that dives deep into like, random python things mm. it's gonna only be the experts right it's only the people that have been like well i've been using that for like five years now i want to know more about it and it turned out like more than half of the audience are beginners like mm. really early stage beginners and i thought that's weird like but why like do they even know what most of this means and so they'd reach out to me and they say you know what i don't really understand a lot of what you're doing or talking about mm-hmm. but every week it makes a little more sense and I'm a little more comfortable and I'm, it's kind of like a language immersion, right? They're like, they're there to let it wash over them. And like the fourth and fifth time, it's like, you know, I'm starting to recognize some of these things and some of these concepts. And now I see it over here. And now like, I didn't know about that. Like it's, it's, um, I feel like that's kind of a form of mentorship in a sense, right? Like you're putting mm-hmm. yourself into this, you're like a fly on the wall, right? You're not actually participating, but it's still like you're in these, these um, environments where where you're having a like you're overhearing this conversation with like you know me talking to I don't know Brett Cannon or Gita Van Rossum or whatever right like mm-hmm. that's that's one form so I think that's a pretty easy form to achieve right you can find these places <clears throat> kind of just like hang around them mm-hmm. that's good but direct one-on-one mentorship um, I find that like the local meetups often are, are not a terrible place for that. Um, you know, if you live in a 
reasonably sized city, you can go and attend those usually for free. And they probably even have pizza or something, right? Some like <laughs> recruiting group that's trying to hire you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can always tell the, the really nicely dressed people that look kind of out of place. <laughs> anyway, They won't be your mentors, but the other people, uh, they probably could be. Um, so that's a good place. And then there's, um, I recently had a chat about this. I think there's a place called, yeah, codementor.io. Okay. And I've never used it, but a bunch of people have been asking if I would be willing to mentor them. Mm-hmm. And as much as I would like to help them, like I'm already like overwhelmed with all the stuff I'm trying to do mm-hmm. and I can't do more, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, so I, I sent out a message and say, Hey, who's willing to like uh, sort of, be hired to be a mentor or whatever. And so some folks said, Hey, I do a lot of work on codementor.io. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a possibility as well. Right. Like, cause sometimes, you know, when you're learning, it's like you're stuck for 10 hours on this thing. And if there was somebody who had just a little bit of experience, like, Oh yeah, you type this and it's fixed. You're like, that, that was it. Really? <laughs> I mean, that goes back <laughs> two to the days, persistence. two hours. Yeah, like. Exactly. Like <laughs> two minutes. Like it's, it goes back to that persistence thing I was mm-hmm. telling you about. Right. The person who said, I'll just type this, it's, they know it, they remember it because they, they went through it, right? They also mm-hmm. were in that, that spot mm-hmm. and they found a way through, but now they haven't forgotten. So it's like another layer of that, like sediment of experience, right? So it's, mm-hmm. sometimes it's really valuable to have somebody who can just like keep you from getting too stuck or like flailing about or going the wrong direction or whatever. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. I think I remember seeing that tweet. You, you sent out a tweet probably. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I saw uh, Miguel Grin. Grinberg replied yeah. some other folks. Um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, you're definitely plugged in and that's something I really enjoy about the podcast. Like I know when I tune in, I'm getting, I'm getting involved in the community. Like I'm getting, yeah, so, so yeah, it's uh yeah. keep up the good work there. Like you've, yeah, got a, you've got a lifelong listener on this end, but um, oh, thank you. yeah, it's, it's a wild <laughs> world. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So I have one last question and then I was going to do a lightning round. And, yeah. uh, uh, so when it comes to, to teachers, um, what is like, maybe everybody at some point they're like, Oh, you know, I'd love to be able to share my knowledge or whatever, but then there's like the whole ability to deliver. So what you've been engaged in teaching and you've run 50 thousand plus people through your courses like how you know what uh what is the way what is the right way to do it i guess or or your the way that you've seen is successful for delivering that content that's a good question i think one of the essential elements is to have empathy for the people who are learning it right it's really easy to like once you've solved a problem it's easy that's how you do it boom let's go Mm-hmm. But I, I think having like those memories of like <laughs> that used to be hard. And I remember it was hard because of this, mm. but now it makes sense. It's hard to like keep that in your mind of like what it was like to be a beginner on this thing. But I've, I've tried to do that. And I think that comes from the 10 years of teaching in person mm. because when you are standing in a room with 30 people and you're trying to present this idea, you see on their face whether or not, the way you're talking about it and the way you're presenting it resonates or you're just getting blank stares. And you're like, if it's blank stares, like one, it's super uncomfortable Two, what can I do to fix? Like what works for like 
you know, making those connections. And that, like, that's pretty hard to replicate, right? So if you've, on, if you can do it, some form of public speaking presentation, like user groups, conferences, even a lightning talk at a, like a PyCon or some sort of meeting, meetup, I think would be valuable for that. Um, but maybe you can only just like do a YouTube channel or something, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Then I would say, you know, it's not necessarily about like trying to show how smart you are and how quick you can do it. It's about trying to think of like, where is this person? What can I say that will make them feel empowered and excited, right? Like did it make them go, look, you're just like right there. Just take this step and like, look at the next cool thing you get rather than, Oh, I'm so smart. I can just da 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 da. Right. Mm -hmm. Like think back to like when it was hard and then try to like help your, like effectively help your former self type of thing. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense and it makes it less uh, intimidating on kind of like the cons the consumption end. Cause you're like, Oh, this guy is, or gal is talking like as yeah. if they've walked in these shoes. So yeah, exactly. And I also think like that highlights another thing is like, you don't have to be like a massive expert. Mm -hmm. to do this, right. Like maybe to write a book, you know, um, if you're gonna write like fluent Python, like Luciano Romalo wrote, like that is like a serious bar of understanding to all the stuff that's covered there. Mm -hmm. But if you're gonna do a 10 minute presentation on something or a short hour thing or something, you know, it's, it's not terrible that you've only been doing it for a year, year and a half, because there'll be a few people that are like, ah, oh, what do you, you use the wrong term for this, or like that <laughs> more efficient, like, like those people suck and you can mostly ignore them. But, <laughs> But a lot of people in the audience will go like, I really connected with that person because that was like a, just a step ahead of me. So they really got my feeling and my situation. And they told me the thing I actually needed that the expert would have like forgotten you even need to say. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I think it's actually more accessible because of that than people first think. Okay. And then there, and then there's probably some reward that the teacher is receiving like another level of mastery or or something oh, like yeah. that so there's it's definitely like a a two-way street i guess absolutely like to teach stuff you have to understand you just have to like mentally have a better grip on it and then also there's just certain stuff that you're going to focus on or you're going to have to learn to present it that you would not do it for yourself so like for example mm. if i'm trying to solve a problem with some library like as soon as my problem is solved my interest in the library is kind of like <laughs> done i'm like okay that's what i need to do we're done but if you're mm -hmm. going to present on it well all of a sudden you have to know like there's actually three ways to do this one thing mm. um this is when you do that one way and this is the benefit of doing the other way like you just have to like because you know people are going to ask those questions or they're curious right you can't just go it's the, like this mm -hmm. like, but what about that other thing like, i don't know right you know like you you just <laughs> have to have like this kind of other way like more holistic way of thinking about uh, mm -hmm. what i'm learning and that also helps a lot Okay. That's, that's fantastic. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing on that. That's sure. for me personally, like I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying, uh, the com this conversation we're having. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, good man. Uh, okay. So for the lightning round, I have just some, some questions for you. So just uh, fire away. Uh, best video game ever, uh, played, I guess. Best video game ever played, uh, Historically, Counter-Strike. People have played it. Counter-Strike is incredible. Uh, it was amazing. These days, I'm really into um, race 
simulations, like realistic race simulations. So okay, cool. uh, a lot of uh, Formula One, uh, the F1 game. Uh, it's super cool. Get it. I've got like a really realistic driving wheel with like a feedback engine and stuff. It's super fun. Okay. Yeah. You have a history of kind of like being an adrenaline junkie from what I understand. Yeah. 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 I used to race motocross and uh, I was actually at the motocross races here last night and have, have some motorcycles and stuff. So awesome. Yeah. Uh, okay. And then regarding the Python ecosystem, what do you think is, uh, like the two extremes, like the, like the best, uh, the, the best and the worst of what we have going on in the community right now? Community wise, I think, uh, I think the community is really, really positive. I think we have a lot of, a lot of engagement. They're very welcoming to new folks. I really appreciate the focus on diversity. Um, it, it's great to see more women participating, right? I have three daughters and I really, you know, it makes me happy to go to the conferences and see mm -hmm. that it's not just a, a bunch of guys. Uh, <laughs> nothing against guys. I am one, but like, I think that we could do a good job around that. Uh, sure. So I think that that's really, really positive. Um, I don't know. It's hard to come up with too many negatives. I do see like this Python 2, Python 3 thing finally settling down, but we're coming up to where Python 2 is being deprecated in t January 2020. And there's probably something that's not super great coming out of that, right? There's a lot of, mm -hmm. if nothing else, there's a lot of people working on supporting older versions of libraries instead of focusing forward. Like we'd probably be farther ahead if we didn't have to do that. If people, and what drives me crazy is like, if, if I see a program written in Python 2 and one written in Python 3, they look so remarkably the same. I don't mm -hmm. even understand what the argument has been about, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, on one hand, I understand. On the other, it's like, if these are all the changes you got to do. Like, why has this been like a rift in the community? Um, mm -hmm. So I think, I think that's good. I think we could definitely support uh, other platforms and other scenarios better, like mobile. We don't really have that great desktop applications don't have a great story around that and deployment nothing really is great there either like how can i package up my thing and like give it to you to run mm -hmm. if you're not already a developer like that's not a good story um i'd like to see those three things getting some attention okay yeah thanks for sharing uh we are definitely a strong community so we will i'm sure we'll figure out a way to uh to improve that absolutely yeah i'm sure that we will i mean it's a bit of a catch 22. No one's building those types of apps because it's okay. really hard. So no one's putting their energy to making building those types of apps better mm -hmm. because no one's doing it, but they don't do it because it's really hard. You know what I mean? Like we need something to unblock that log jam. Um, mm -hmm. honestly don't know what, it, what the right event or catalyst is to make that happen, but uh, there's probably something it'll come along. Excellent. All right, and uh, what is what is the the call to action here? How can folks find you? Um, what is kind of like your your uh, product that people are getting a lot of benefit from right now? Well, I guess there's two call to actions I'd like to give. One, you okay. know, listen to the podcast, check it out at talkpython.fm or pythonbytes.fm, depending on which one resonates more with you. If you want to learn Python, check out the courses at training.talkpython.fm. Of course, we talked a lot about those already, so uh, people mm -hmm. are aware. But those are the things I'm really putting my energy into. Um, and they, I see them as kind of like the part of the same thing on the spectrum. Like the, the podcasts are there to like educate people in general and get them excited. And then the courses are help turn that excitement into like skills and action. So there's that part. 
And then also, you know, if, if you want to go out there and create stuff, right? Like we've talked a lot about it, right? The skills you need to like superpower, whatever you're doing, it's not that high. Uh, remember stuff that's hard. It's hard for everybody. It's a moat. So it's good. You should like it, even though it's not as much fun as it, it should be. It's like, it's an important step uh, on the path. Excellent. Well, this has been an uh, incredible blast. Um, I, yeah, I can't, I, I have a lot of, uh, energy. I need to go, I need to go walk it up or something. This has been, uh, incredibly energizing. So, uh, I really appreciate you coming on here and, um, yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's been great to be here, Ben. Thank you for having me. And uh, it's been great to talk to you.